I'm Rick Bassman. I'm Mina Martinez. The pit bull is one of the world's most misunderstood creatures. The wildly unfair reputation surrounding these beautiful and sweet dogs has segued into mistreatment and abuse in many forms, and from there, mass euthanasia. Pit bull type dogs make up only 15% of the canine population, yet 40% of the 2 million dogs killed each year in the US shelters are bully breeds. We're here to change that. It's the lucky few pit bulls who find great, loving, forever homes. But even many of these few first have to travel a path where they're abused, made to fight, banned from entire cities, and abandoned. It takes a rare kind of person with a big heart to open their homes to a pit bull type dog. When you do, you're almost always guaranteed to find yourself with an incredibly sweet, loyal, affectionate dog who will love you with all of their heart. It's our mission to advocate for our beautiful bully breeds to overcome the unfair and inaccurate vilification surrounding the pit bull, to overturn breed-specific legislation, to abolish dog fighting. It is a big mission and we are dedicated to doing our part, starting right here at the Pitbull Podcast. Please join Rick Bassman and Mina Martinez for a new episode of the Pitbull Podcast every Saturday right here on Podcast One. Also available on Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever you get your podcast. And we are good. Remove Sarah for a moment. And it's Rick Bassman and my great friend and partner and co-host, Mina Martinez, for another episode of the Pitbull Podcast. Yes. And Mina, it's almost a normal time of day. Well, for most people, it would be a normal time. I don't know that it is for you or not. 9 a.m. your time. 9 a.m. is usually my nap time, actually. I've just done my morning routine, and now it's time for me to take a nap. Taking a nap at 9 a.m. You would have liked thrived as like a farm person in the 1800s huh that would have been i cool. really would have loved that yeah, it'd be a good fit i can see that for sure you i can see you in that environment and that's a, such a such a positive comment by the way so i'm i'm excited for today's episode we've had some pretty wacky characters on the pitbull podcast as of late and god knows with with shorty coming up and uh, probably my dear friend linda blair who I love more than anything, it's just going to get wackier and wackier. Now, that said, today, um, in my estimation, it's kind of like going the opposite direction. We, we know that this industry, this crazy industry that we've chosen for ourselves, advocating and, and loving and promoting the, the, the bully breeds that we love so much, tends to attract some pretty out there people. We could probably even say crazy people. Um, and, and, and God bless them all. Our, our guest today is an incredible advocate and educator for the pit bull type dog for the bully breeds. Uh, and, and what, and I've, I've always admired her and liked her so much for that and the work that she does, but she also stands out to me because she is like the most sane person I know in this world. And that's saying a lot. You don't, you don't see it often. Um, you, you usually get the extreme personalities with our industry. So I think what we're going to get today is a lot of straight up education about these dogs that we love so much. I would love that. I spent um, an 
embarrassing amount of time yesterday looking up different kinds of statistics because I think that statistics are I, I, I mean I'm, I'm really really into numbers and and how many bites and how many uh, pit bulls and then I went into a deeper dive um, I found some interesting facts out like you're more likely to get um, killed by a coconut than a than a pit bull well, yeah, and more likely, and I have to, absolutely, and more likely to get bit by a Lhasa Apso, a Pomeranian, a Pekingese, or a Maltese than you are by a pit bull. Um, not killed, but bitten by. So I have Yeah, to, I but I was by. looking at all these statistics, like um, 450 people a year die after falling out of bed, but coconuts and beds aren't banned in any apartments. You know what? I think we should change all our energies and redirected it, redirect it toward allowing, allowing coconuts. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I was just reading all these crazy ways that people like bathtub slips and stuff and all of these things are part of everyone's everyday lives. Yes. And they zero in on uh, banning pit bulls. And I was like, well, let's uh, let's talk to Sarah. Let's talk to our guest today, Sarah, yeah, about the pitbull ban, breed specific legislation. That's such a hot topic for me. I'll just get pissed, so you guys can have a, a sane and rational conversation about it. Mm -hmm. um, okay. What I love is that you're always educating yourself, and you are. I mean, look, you you founded and run the first ever animal sanctuary in the country of Japan. So I think it's very safe to say that you're an expert. Um, and, and, you know, and I founded the Bully Dog Rescue Coalition years ago, and I've spent half a year at, um, at Dogs Nation in Missouri and half a year at Little Blair World Heart in California and traveled the, the country educating myself about these breeds. And I would dare say to a degree, you and I are expert, yet we're still always looking up the truth because we want to know, we want to know the truth so we can create yeah. a world, a realistic truth which shines i think a positive light on these dogs we love so much and we want to be better all the time for the betterment of these dogs so bless you for being an expert yet continuing to educate yourself i think that's really thank cool. you um, with that let's bring on a true expert the founder and ceo of none other than the american pitbull foundation sarah andreco hey hey how are you? I am doing fantastic. How have you guys been? Good. Did we exhaust you in our introduction yet? Not at all. In fact, it's so hard to like sit there and think because your brain starts going a mile a minute with statistics and these breed bans and they're getting all repealed in the US and now the UK is talking about using them. And so my brain goes a mile a minute every time the conversation just starts because there's so much to get into with it. You know, here's a quick question I want to ask you about breed bans. Um, as I mentioned, when Mina and I were talking, like I traveled the U.S. for a year with three of my dogs and what I called the Great American Pitbull Tour. And it was we visited and I have, I have to send you some of the stuff on it. It's pretty cool. We visited a lot of places like in Missouri where legislation been passed against Pitbull type dogs. Um, we, the, the highest meeting we got was with uh, uh, Greg Wrightens. He was actually the governor of Missouri at that time. And I have a photo in his office with him and Ramon and Gogo and Eos, my three pit bulls. And by the time we, at that time, by the time we left the office, he's like, I hear you. We, we got to look into this. So that's good work. Normally I get pissed 
I, I can't help it. <laughs> I hate I, when I hear something like that is happening. When you hear there's a new breed-specific legislation ban in a county, a municipality, a city, wherever, on pit bull-type dogs, what's your first reaction? How do you feel? Um, it's frustrating because it's a very old school mentality to just slap a bandaid on something. And we all know that that's, there's a festering wound underneath of it. And unfortunately we're using the, the wrong tools that are available to us to actually put some of these policies in place to protect people, because we do need policies to protect people against irresponsible owners that create dangerous dogs. Right. But that has nothing to do with breed. The The problem with politics is that politicians are not experts in anything but politics. And half the time, they're not even an expert in that. No offense to any politicians, but um, they're not behavior consultants. These are not veterinary behaviorists. These are not breed experts. These are not breeders. These are not people even in the animal world. So when you have uh, politicians that are trying to basically appease their constituents and to get those votes and to stay in office, they listen to the people. And you also have to remember that the people that are talking to them are also not experts in behavior or different breeds or canines for that matter. So I think the, the, the thing that we need to shine a light on is yes, there need to be policies. Yes, there need to be protections. Yes, there needs to be specific legislation, not only to protect people, but to protect animals too. However, we know that we need experts in those fields to be able to say, this is never going to work. Like, let's talk about something that is feasible, that will protect both dogs and people. Let's look at the root of the problem and what we can do to actually solve it and not just slap a Band-Aid over it and deal with it 10, 15, 20 years down the road when things all of a sudden get much worse. And that's basically what we've seen. We've seen a rise in bites and attacks because breed-specific legislation really just removes the dogs that are owned by law-abiding citizens. People who are a part of the problem don't care about the law. They're not concerned with that. So there's a lot of evidence to show um, these issues that surround breed, uh, surround breed specific legislation, but it's take, taken a long time for politicians to realize that they need people that truly understand because they have the education and the knowledge and the hands-on experience with these dogs to be able to come up with a solution that will actually keep both the human and the canine population safe because public safety is really what they're after. So as a behavior, um uh, a canine behaviorist, what would you say would the best policy be to protect these breeds and, of course, people? Well, first we need to look at what policy won't work because we've been there. And so to repeat history and repeat the same mistakes is not going to help. So we know that we cannot actually uh, identify dogs just based on looks alone. That's been proven time and time and time and time again. Um, one of my favorite things to do with the high school students that we used to teach with the American Pitbull Foundation, we had a, um, a course on disease and prevention and responsible dog ownership, and we would give all of the students uh, this survey to pick out the Pitbull. And you guys are probably familiar with this one, you know, where you get a bunch of breeder photos and, you know, things that get mistaken for Pitbull type dogs, and you put them on a sheet of paper and you have them circle the one that they think is the American Pitbull Terrier. Uh, and it is more than nine times out of 10, they get it wrong. We also surveyed veterinarians, veterinary technicians, breeders, and the general population. Um, and that was one small study, but there have been multiple studies over the past several decades that confirm and prove based on DNA tests that we run that you cannot identify a pit bull type dog, um, which is also a loose term as it is uh, by visualization. So 
the first thing we need to do is say, okay, what we were doing isn't working. Now, what can we do to protect the population? Well, all dogs are individuals. Everyone, including us, is a product of our nature and nurture, our environment and our genetics. Like that's all there is to it. You're a combination of both of those things and that's as simple as you can break it down. So when we're looking at the reasons that dogs bite, that dogs attack, we have to look at that individual dog and that individual case. Once you do that and you really dissect that down, then you can start compiling those cases together and saying, okay, these are the common factors that we're seeing in these cases. Now, um, just with some of my own research, because you know, anytime I hear about a band popping up, I immediately go find out why, what's going on, see if I can be a part of, of um, kind of the collection of the town or the, you know, wherever, wherever that's happening. But um, it's gathering that evidence and that, that um, information behind that bite or attack and then compiling those. So uh, most often we see that it's an issue of neglect. Sometimes it's abuse, but with the pitbull dog population, I find more than anything, it's a whole slew of needs that aren't being met. You know, we have dogs that are chained up in the backyard. These dogs are extremely social with humans and very dependent on that one-on-one -on -one interaction. But pitbull type dogs being a large portion of the population of canines, um, they are often left in the backyard, unchained, needs unmet. They start developing very frustrating behaviors, territorial behaviors, but this is not just something that happens to pit bull type dogs. This is something that can happen to any breed whose needs aren't being met and neglect is there. So when we're thinking about uh, policy changes, we need to say, okay, what are the things that are going to help us meet the needs of the dog's baseline? Like, you know, what are the basic needs that we can make sure are being met for these dogs? If the population of people, um, if there is a portion of the population that um, can't meet those needs, how can we get resources to them so that they are, so that their dogs aren't becoming a part of the problem as well? So it's a matter of resource there, but it's also a matter of looking at, I hate to say it because you know people don't like to hear it, but regulating breeding. The AKC doesn't want to hear it. The UKC doesn't want to hear it. But when we're thinking about safety, we really need to think about who's breeding these dogs. And the again, the problematic portion are not your responsible breeders because there is such a thing. Your problematic population are the ones that aren't vaccinating, aren't meeting needs, aren't spaying and neutering, aren't doing the things necessary for raising solid, um, well-rounded, behaviorally sound dogs. I have a question about um, beha behaviors, because I know that in dogs, um, behavior traits are passed down differently than in humans. Um, and the reason that I found this out was when I first got my first dog, which was a pit bull, um, I she had never been out of the apartment that she was raised in. Um, she was a whoopsie litter at the time, and um, she was there with the owner who had to go back to India for uh, move move his family back to India and had to get rid of these puppies. So I I was taking my pit bull for a walk, and she would only go toilet on manholes. It was just the strangest thing. She, she, I would see the frantic look on her face, like I need to go toilet, and we'd have to look for a manhole for her to go beyond. <laughs> and I spoke to her owner, and he's like, "That's really weird because her mum does exactly the same thing, but they had never been outside of the house together. They've never been out together, so there's no way that she could have learned it by watching. It's just a behaviour that she." I don't know, she got through genetics, but it's 
it's um I hear that it's different with dogs. They that's why you can't breed a dog that has a bite history because the puppies are going to be prone to biting. No, definitely not. So um it if you think about breeding and genetics without getting like super deep into the workings of it because I'm not a geneticist, but I know enough to be dangerous as they say. Um if you look at even dogmen and game dogs and you know when when people were originally breeding, which they still do sometimes, but dogs for dog fighting specifically, you can breed a dog aggressive dog, which is actually pretty rare, and a dog selective dog together or two dog selective dogs together. And say you get a litter of 10 puppies, you know, pit bulls have large, large litters, typically, depending on on which one you go with. Staffies may be a little bit short, uh, smaller, but um, out of those 10 puppies, you might get one or two maybe that is truly dog aggressive or highly dog selective. So yes, there is a higher likelihood if you're breeding those characteristics to another animal with the same characteristics. And that if you continue breeding those characteristics into that dog over generations, you will see more and more and more and more that show those traits. That's why we see higher levels of prey drive and dog selectivity in, in pit bull type dogs because they were selected for that and bred for that. But even in selecting them and breeding them for it, it does not take out what shakes out genetically in terms of their individual personality. Because these traits, you know, they're turned on or they're turned off, they're there. And each individual that comes out based on what happens to mom, the nutrition of mom, the stress of mom, um, whether they're able to nurse, whether they get colostrum or whether they don't, whether they're exposed to stressors during critical fear periods, whether they're, they get enough social exposure early on during their critical socialization period, all of that goes into what that personality is going to become in the long run once they hit that 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 maturity level. So it's so very important that we look at the individual dog. I mean, think about how many dog fight bus cases there have been um, where we've, we've had hundreds and hundreds of dogs placed from these cases where the purpose of the breeders was to produce really aggressive dogs towards other dogs, not people. That's really important to note. Um, and we're still able to take these dogs out of these situations. And oh, by the way, they live with three cats and this one lives with five dogs because you're just not going to get that. That's just, we're just not that lucky to say, I can genetically make this happen. You can try, you can play your odds and you can increase your likelihoods, but there's still an individual dog in front of you. So. Mm. Well, thank God. I appreciate that explanation. It's, I don't, you know, Mina and I, <laughs> as I hinted at, like I consider us both experts to a degree. And then you hear information like that and and i just want to say i appreciate it so much because i always want to learn more and that that's incredibly informative um, mina what, what's your takeaway from that because that was a little bit different than i think how you said you saw it yeah um i mean every dog is an individual and under the umbrella of the term pitbull you have every type of dog under the sun from the couch potato to the the agility dog to the the like the working the work driven dog one with prey drive one that loves to snuggle with kittens and and independent ones and codependent ones and you have like every every single type that i mean what she said is is what sarah said is completely true that they, they are all very very individual animals 
So it's important that we look at the individuals and not a breed because somehow we have uh, racially profiled a breed, <laughs> which is... On that subject, thanks for that, Mina. Going back to what we were talking about on BSL, breed-specific legislation, I think racial profiling is a great way to describe where this whole problem stems from. Sarah, if you were in the room, and, and I put people on the spot all the time, so here's my first one where I'm putting you on the Ooh. spot. I know, get to <laughs> we, we call this the elevator pitch segment. What You're are we going to do? With yeah. someone for 60 seconds. If you get in the elevator with a governor of a state that has a statewide ban on bully breed type or pit bull type dogs, what would you tell them? I'd ask them what their experience with the dogs are to begin with. What's their experience with canine behavior? Who And I, I would, I'd probably plant things a little bit and say, oh, who, who is your panel of experts? Do you have a veterinary behaviorist on board? Do you have a breed specialist on board that are, is helping you make these decisions? Because um, I'd love to know who the panel is. You know, just giving them the idea that Get, making it their idea, essentially, that they should probably be referring to people that really know what they're talking about in terms of behavior and breeding and the shelter crisis that we are facing currently. So, um, you know, people like to hear things and then kind of come up with their own idea as to what they want to do with it. So I think I would kind of plant that information like, oh, you're so it, hopefully I would know what they're what they're working on or if there's something going on in their county or their state um, or province and just say, oh, yeah. So on this issue, uh, who is your who's your panel? You know, do you have anybody really good You know, kind of thing? Who's your vet behaviorist or something like that to kind of nudge and say, oh, light bulb moment. Maybe I need to have a, a group of people that I can rely on that are credentialed. Um, to bounce some ideas off of and people with, you know, real life working experience rather than taking information just from, you know, a few community members. Can I talk to people that have worked with thousands and thousands of these dogs or that have the education and the knowledge behind them to help us come up with practical solutions and keep my community safe? Cool. And, uh, you know what I wanted to mention too, Mina, I just wanted to point something out that you said that I think is really cool. Um, you were talking about how, you know, pit bulls fit all these different types of personalities and, and, you know, just their individual um, differences that, and how they range so much. And it made me think too, you know, pit bull owners are the same. Like there is no stereotype for a pit bull owner because they, they, you know, encompass every class, every style, yeah. every race, you know, and every, every lifestyle age. choice too. Yeah. And every age. So I, 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 just something that you had said that made me think about that too, like as eclectic as their personalities can range. I mean, the people that own them, it's the same way. I think it's fantastic. Another thing that that kind of reminds me of is one of the statistics that I read yesterday was over 60% of dogs, especially the dogs in the media that cause trouble are, um, they're mistaken as pit bulls. So they're not actually, they don't have any pit bull DNA, but they are mistaken as pit bulls just because of some some kind of appearance like a barrel chest or short hair or something about them. And then they get labeled, so they get mislabeled more than 60% of the time when it's a negative um, thing in the media. So. Yes, and you'll notice too that in the media, um, when there is a dog attack that does not involve a pit bull type dog, it will say dog attack. When yes. there is a dog attack that they think involves a pit bull type yes. dog, it will say pit bull attacks. 
you know, that, and I don't think that's something that people pick up on. Like yeah. you are being driven to believe certain things based on how they spend their stories. And I, I got to give some of them credit. I really do because I've met a lot of reporters, you know, it used to be like, I would only get calls when, you know, a kid got bitten or, you know, somebody wanted to euthanize a dog because it was causing a ruckus in the neighborhood and it was a pit bull. And now I actually get calls and interview requests and things like that from people who are really trying to see the opposite side and show that, hey, guess what? We've been mistaken all along. Like the media has the wrong idea about these dogs. I find that the only people that are left over that are still throwing that bait out there, like pit bull attacks kid, it, these are these are journalists that are at the bottom and they're really looking for those clicks and those hits mm. so that they can get in front of people that will just click and view. These are not seasoned journalists or reporters. And I've just, you know, over time come to realize that you have people who are truly interested in learning and educating the public and bringing that news and information to the public. And then you have those people that are like, I want to be popular. I want you to know my name. So I'm going to, you know, use this phrase because I know it's going to draw some attention. Pitbull attacks is so sensationalistic. Um, yep. You know, Mina, it's interesting that you you pointed out a, a 60% um, a figure, 60% of these, these, these news notices. And, and I just want to put a cap on this by saying there's a term I've heard in people in my circle, they call it the 68 to eight rule, which is, and I don't know where they got these stats from. I'm just repeating and I, I can't verify this myself. I want to be clear about it. But my understanding is that if a dog, as you both explained so well, that's even perceived as maybe being a pit bull type dog bites somebody, 68% of those bites are going to be re reported as pit bull does this, attacks, goes on a rampage, whatever. If it's a different type of breed that's not associated with a pit bull type dog, the breed of that dog, German Shepherd, Dachshund, whatever it is, is only reported 8% of the time. And that's where that term 68 to 8 rule comes in. That's pretty telling. So there's a. There was a case, though, where it was actually a golden retriever, but um, they said it was a pit bull. How do you mistake a golden retriever for a pit bull? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine. Can you? Where does that come from? Stuff drives me nuts. Oh. oh, my God. People. <laughs> and that was told to me directly from a policeman because he said that my I have pit bulls, so they're dangerous. And I, I, I looked up the story later, and sure enough, it was not even a pit bull. I was like, wow, okay. You know what? The next time one of my dogs, and I have, I have four uh, pit bull type dogs at home right now, Sarah. The next time one of my dogs attacks somebody, I'm just going to say it's a poodle. Uh, my dog. <laughs> next my dog time, one of my dogs. Anybody. <laughs> my dogs are never. You know, the next time. Mina's <laughs> been my dog. Like, she knows them. <laughs> it's like the running joke in in my household. Like I have four kids, and you know, people are like, "Oh my gosh, you you have, you know, your pit bulls around your kids." Like I've heard it so many times, and I'm like, "Well, that's why I have so many kids. I just keep having babies so that I can feed the pit bulls a baby occasionally, and it suffices them for a year or two, and yeah, I have another kid." It's like I, I like the things that, that people idea. come up with. I, I'm fully in support of that idea. I love that. That's great. Yeah. And it's, it, it's interesting, too, where they collect these statistics from, because, I mean, half of the time, so a bite has to be reported, whether it's intended, whether it's not, whether it breaks the skin, whether it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And it, it's I always like to use my own personal pit bull bite, because, again, I've worked with thousands and 
thousands of pit bulls and I've been bitten by one. And um, it was when I was a vet nurse in a hospital and we had a dog that was under anesthesia and I was recovering this dog from anesthesia. And um, I noticed that there was some bleeding coming from this dog's mouth. And I was like, oh, this is not good. So I reached in and pulled his tongue out. And as I was pulling the tongue out, the dog actually went into a seizure and clamped down on my hand. Dog is completely unconscious and is seizing. That got reported as a bite and the dog reported was a pit bull type dog. But you're not going to see that the dog didn't even intend to bite me and wasn't even conscious at the time that it was a seizure that actually wow. caused a bite. Yeah, but that's reported as a, a bite, a pit bull bite. So you have to be so careful about how statistics are interpreted and, and, you know, people who like to throw out those media stories love to run to dogbites.org and, you know, pull up all these statistics that are completely skewed and like borderline made up. So, yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's infuriating. And you said you've been around thousands of these dogs now. Yeah. How, how, oh, would, yeah. You best, how would you best characterize or describe the personality of a pit bull type dog? Um, without taking away from their independent types, because they, they can range, some of the most common factors that I see in pit bull type dogs is their um, huge desire for that one-on-one -on -one time with their person. They are like little dependents. They like to be around people. Uh, they really need that one-on-one -on -one time. They're typically pretty athletic, even though we've got our couch potatoes. You know, the American bully side is a little bit larger, a little less athletic. But for the most part, your American Pitbull Terriers, your American Staffordshire Terriers, and even your little Staffy Bulls, they're, they're really athletic dogs. Um, they typically have a good prey drive, so a lot of fun games that you can play with them um, and tap into. But they're super eager to please. I also think that the majority of them are really, really good family dogs. They're highly tolerant. Uh, that's one of the things that we've selectively bred them for, of course. Um, but they tend to be extremely human friendly. And ever since we started breeding these dogs, ever since we took, you know, the the bulldog and the terrier and we put them together, there was always that component of that human friendliness and that companionship. And I think that is one of those characteristics that over the centuries for the many things they've been bred for has just rung true with them, just stays pretty consistent within the line. It's rare for me to come across a pit bull type dog that's been, you know, appropriately raised with a good social environment that has any concerns with humans. It's, it's pretty, pretty odd. So, so beautifully said, thank you. And uh, I just want to say to that, uh, hallelujah. I agree with all of that. So, so, so nicely said, you know, we, you and I and Mina have all used the term in this interview alone, several times, pit bull type dog. And we've also talked, you've, you've mentioned now Staffy Bulls and American Bullies and American Pit Bull Terriers. Now, you, you know the same people we know, I'm sure. You get Bronwyn Dickey, who wrote the amazing book, Pit Bull. Um, uh, and I love this that one. Book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I love that book. And Bronwyn is amazing. Yeah. And you get Darcy Dennis. She did a really good job with that. Yeah. Such a good book, Pit Bull. And she's going to be on our show coming up. Really psyched about Excellent. that. Excellent. And then you get Darcy Dennett, who directed The Champions, a great documentary about what pit bulls can become when they've been in a challenging space. If you talk to Darcy and you talk to Bronwyn and anybody else I've found that are experts, Linda Blair, about pit bull type dogs, there always still seems to be some confusion about what fits in that category um, and what a pit bull is. Now, at home here, I, I have a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. I have an American bully 
I have an American Staffordshire Terrier, and I have an ABPT, an American Pitbull Terrier. Yeah, well, uh, four. You've got the, the completeness of the, the, well, what I consider the four breeds that fall into Pitbull. Okay, so that was my question to you. What, what comprises the Pitbull? Because right now the American Kennel Club recognizes 200 different breeds. That, that was in 2023, I believe, exactly 200. Now, you and I both know that if a Boston Terrier or a French Bulldog or a maybe a, a Bull Mastiff bites a person, it's going to be reported as pit bull attacks. Or bully, is that, yeah. Is that right? Is that accurate? Uh, it often gets reported that way, yeah. They call them bully breeds, um, and I think that's dangerous territory. And that, that's the reason that I pretty much claim there are four breeds in the class of dogs considered pit bull type dogs. Um, and it's, it's sometimes hard to define. And I think there is a lot of subject subjectivity in it, but the way that I look at it is, did the dog come from the original two dogs crossed to make this animal? And if you look at Staffordshire Bull Terriers, uh, American Bullies, which now people are breeding Mastiffs into them, which I don't consider that pit bull because there's Mastiff in it, but um, American Bibble Terriers, Staffordshire Bull Terriers, the original American Bullies, and the Staffordshire Bull Terriers, they all come from that same cross of that one um, idea with that bulldog and that terrier. So if that's the if that's the bloodline, so to speak, because that's the only way that we can really follow breeds per se, that's what I would consider uh, pit bull type dog. I don't consider, I, I don't like the term bully breed because now it's, it's bled into mastiffs. It's bled into boxers and American bulldogs. And, um, it just encompasses everything. Like it encompasses anything that's blocky, anything that's brindle, anything that looks pity, anything that looks bulldoggy. So it's, ex it's extremely vague. And I think that gets bled into the pit bull type dogs very frequently. So, a lot of people have their own definitions as to what it is. I, I look at it very simplistically in terms of did the dog, did the breed in that someone is saying is a pit bull type dog come from basically that original pairing of that um, English bulldog and that terrier? If so, then I would consider that in the class of, of pit bull type dogs. And that's, that's basically how I tend to look at it. I really wanted to hear that answer from the founder and CEO of the American Pitbull Foundation, because meaning that I consider you, we consider you an authority on this. Uh, everybody you ask has a different opinion, as you know. And uh, I've, yes. I've met people with um, American bullies that, that refuse to say that their dogs are pit bulls. And yeah, and there's lots of reasons for that. And one of the most common ones that I've heard, um, and it's been a while since I've been there. I used to go to American Bully shows, and I actually know the the founder of that breed um, and what his intentions were. And I was really on board with them, but they wanted to breed out any type of dog aggression, any type of human aggression, which is really not a problem in these guys anyway. Um, but originally, they wanted to stick with just building up and up and up from the most musculars and the squattiers and the larger American Pitbull Terriers or American Staffordshire Terriers and just breed out any type of dog aggression. Um, but of course, backyard breeders got a hold of those guys too, and Mastiff breeders got a hold of them, and they've crisscrossed and made all sorts of problems, and it's a whole show. Uh, and, 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 if they, and God forbid they do anything that's wrong, they get labeled as pit bulls, and we just add to the uh, reputational problem. Precisely. I, I'm, I'm so thrilled to hear that 
that you narrow a pit bull to four types of breeds and then I have one of each. I feel fulfilled today. I love it. Cool. <laughs> That's great. I, I like That's that. ideal. I wish I had all four. <laughs> oh, it's a great crew. It's an amazing crew. Super copacetic. I, I tell people that, you know, I, I have a, um, my doormat out front. It, it has like a nice looking pit bull on it. And it says, I hope you like pit bulls. Now I could have very easily put a doormat that said, beware of pit bulls and got one with, you know, the, the scary face. Right. Um, but uh, I say often, I want people to know that I have these dogs here because we're all concerned with home security these days, of course. But somebody comes in, stranger comes in, they're not going to have any problem. My dogs will be all over them in a friendly way. World's worst watchdogs. My gosh. I hope you just increased your security systems at home because now that everybody knows your dogs are not going to do a thing. Well, that's true. Good you've point. got all the cameras up. I, I do have me and my Glock 9 and my and my AR, so there you go. But anyway, thank you. No, you're a good point. My, my godfather used to have a, um, a gun shop and a bait and tackle shop, and I he, he had these signs that said, um, forget the dog, beware the owner. You know, had a big gun across the front of it. I always thought yes. it was funny. That's, that is fantastic. Forget the dog, beware the owner. Hey, speaking of slogans, I actually have a question for Mina. And, and Mina, what, what shirt are you wearing? Mine says mother of dogs. Mother of dogs. Cool. With cool. a pit bull type dog kind of silhouette on it. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, we, Mina and I have this little thing where we attempt to wear different uh, pit bull type dog t-shirts on every show. So mine says, I don't know what it says. I can't see it. I'm not a dog person. I think I'm a pit bull person um, is what it says. I'm a bully dad. Bully dad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was actually looking um, on Amazon yesterday for pitbull mum hoodies because now t-shirts are going to get a little bit cold because winter's coming up so i have to start looking into warmer clothes with pitbulls on them so sarah do you have american pitbull foundation shirts i do um we have they're mostly what we have right now are veterans and pitbulls t-shirts those support our uh, service dog training program we only use um pitbull type dogs for it we have those t-shirts. We might be out of hoodies, but we're getting ready to make some more. So we'll have some of those up, but we have them in, I think we have light gray. Oh, we have tanks too. We've got um, veterans and pit bulls tank tops as well. But yeah, light gray, pink, lilac, military green, and I think like a dark gray too. Nice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to log on at the conclusion of our show and I'm going to order some uh, American Football Foundation swag for me and Mina. And uh, awesome. we'll, we'll, be, uh, we'll be sporting it on a uh, episode in the near future, for sure. Yes. I get so excited when I see them in the wild. I really do. I'm like, oh, they're wearing our shirt. Look. <laughs> yeah, that is so cool. So if, if people want to log on and get their own shirt or get more information about you, where, where, where do people want to go to check you out? So to check out the foundation, it's apbf.dog, as in American Pitbull Foundation.dog. So apbf.dog. And then if you want to learn more about me and kind of what I do personally uh, and kind of my behavior services, I'm just at sarahondraco.com. So just S-A-R-A-O-N-D-R-A-K-O.com. Easy enough. And I'm on socials too, YouTube, TikTok, um, which is so addicting. I need, I need to not be on TikTok, but... <laughs> That's where most people send me all of the fun pit bull uh, videos and stuff. 
I yeah. cannot do TikTok. I've made an account and I've tried and I've tried and I, I have ADHD too. So, so my attention span is if it doesn't engage my brain, I'm like, Pfft. yep, done. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but Mina, you should be perfect. At, I mean, your Mina's like so good at social media. Um, TikTok's like limited to like 30 seconds, right? But I, I, three minutes, no, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I have too much to say for it to be done in 30 seconds. Okay. It in. Okay. <laughs> I can never finish anything in 30 seconds. No, fair, fair, fair enough. And obviously, if, to support Mina, an animal, um, I always like to do this each episode. We, we want people that watch this to obviously open their mind about the pit bull type dog. Um, I know we don't like to use the term bully breeze, as you said, but people sometimes confuse the two. We, we hope that people's hearts and minds opened and, and maybe even come to support somebody that's doing such good work for these dogs as you two are. So I just want to repeat again to make sure everybody got it. And we'll put it on the crawl when we edit this. But um, American Pitbull Foundation, the acronym APBF.DOG. And then to support the amazing work being done at the first and only animal sanctuary in the country of Japan, uh, which is Mino's. That's Animo, not Animal, Animo, A-N-I-M-O, sanctuary.com. Right, Mina? Yep. All right, cool, cool. Yeah, you got you guys are doing um, you guys are both doing such good work. And uh, uh what is it about this industry, Sarah? Mina and I talked about this a bunch. Why does it seem to draw only women? Where where are all the men in this thing? Ooh, ooh, I'm afraid to answer that question. <laughs> Let's hear it, please. Glove, gloves. Um, okay, Mina, I'm turning you on to TikTok right now because there's a guy on there and he's hysterical and he's a black guy with a, like a bald head and he talks about how crazy white women are. Oh, I like, know him. Have you seen him? He's, he's so like, funny. White women aren't afraid of anything. They're not afraid of anything. They're going to find a pit bull and they're going to put it in pajamas. And it went from fighting and da, 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 da. You know, he, he's hysterical. But um, jokes aside, I think I think it has to do with the nurturing side of females. I mean, even without, you know, some women don't have like a strong maternal instinct, but there's still that nurturing side to women more so than men. And we're just looking at biology. You know, we're looking at, at basic biology here. There are differences between um, the X chromosome and the Y chromosome. And when we look at the population as a whole, again, not speaking individual here, speaking in generalities, the female of the species, of the human species, tends to be um, more nurturing. And again, that's not the case for everyone, but I think that's why we might see a larger portion of the population being female. Um, I also think that they get more emotionally attached and tied, again, in general, to the work that's done and put less of an emphasis on financial stability. <laughs> so I think women tend to be more likely to kind of spend the last dime or go into a position that doesn't necessarily pay and take care of the entire family. Whereas I find that even more, not even not even traditional men, but even more modern men have more of a focus on that financial stability for their family. And maybe we are just crazy. Maybe we are just crazy about the things that we do in our passions and we're willing to just risk it all. But I, so I think it's kind of nurture and I think some of it is risk and priorities too, but it's hard to say because I've met so many unbelievably compassionate and caring men. I'll tell you 
um, documentary. Have you seen uh, Guilty Till Proven Innocent that Jeff Thiemann did? No, what is it? I'm sorry. It's Guilty. called Guilty Till Proven Innocent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's one of those just incredibly brilliant and compassionate men. But um, that reminds me when we were talking about statistics, uh, one of the pieces in the documentary was this gentleman addressing counsel about a breed ban in Ohio. And his statistic was hysterical. It was meant to be a joke, but he, he said, um, you're more likely to get gored by a unicorn than killed by a pit bull. <laughs> that was his mocking of the whole scenario. But yeah, so anyway, all that to say is that Yes, there are men out there like Jeff and like you, Rick, too, that are just very drawn to this and very passionate about it. But you're right. I, you know, you do tend to see more more females involved. Uh, that's such a great answer. I mean, what what else? What else do I have to say to that? Yeah, all, all my work has been 99 percent of my work in this field has been with women. Um, and I think you hit every nail on the head more more compassionate. Um, I am not necessarily on the ball with the finances because we all know many in the nonprofit space are struggling to, to stay afloat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, that, that's why they all, that's why, that's why the American Pitbull Foundations and the Animos and the Linda Blairs and the Lovables in Oregon all deserve our support for sure. Doing such great work. Uh, who, who are you in touch with in the Pitbull rescue world that, that you like to support? Personally? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't mind sharing. So it's very random because it's not as much about support for me as it is from, as it is in terms of like collaboration and learning from one another. I like to read about other people in the industry, see what they're doing, see what they are having success with, have conversations and collaborate in whatever way possible. So oftentimes in terms of support, it's usually like, is there anything I can do for you or any way that I can help you? And it's often, again, very random. So sometimes I'll work with one specific organization. Sometimes I'll work with one specific person. But most of the time, it's a collaborative effort of multiple types of teams, especially when, um, you know, we have something happen like a, a, a dog fight bust in the area per se, right? You've got multiple different teams coming together. And so... Um, I may really latch on to one person that's there kind of directing the operation or someone who's overseeing medical and be like, wow, I really want to learn more about you. How can I support you? How can I help you? Or somebody that's done something for us or for me, always wanting to kind of return that favor. Same goes with like social media sharing. If I see someone in the rescue industry or a pit bull type dog expert say something for or against whichever direction it may be that I think is like, wow, they hit the nail on the head or, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm really concerned about this statement that just got made, let's address it. Um, I like putting that information out there on social as well, so that I'm also supporting other people who are actively seeking more and more education, kind of like you guys were talking about earlier, and furthering their knowledge and helping other people in the industry as well, not just focusing so much um, on what's right in front of them or their organization. So I very much like to support other people that are also like-minded in terms of collaboration. So. It's tough to say specifics because I work with so many different people in the industry and I would feel bad like singling people out and not mentioning other people that I think are so very important and, you know, extremely knowledgeable too. And, and thankfully there seems to be more and more getting into it these days also. So we need I, it. We really need it. Yeah. I mean, me, me and I, I kind of like joke about this a lot. We, we hear people saying, 
Well, if I won the lottery today, I would I would have a dog sanctuary. And we always uh, are, are got knee jerk responses. Be careful what you wish for. Um, yeah. it, it's uh, it is not easy work. It's it's really hard work. But blessedly, there are more people like the two of you that are getting into it with their their hearts and minds in the right place. And that uh, I don't know about you, Sarah, but that that gives me hopes that eventually we can turn the corner on this. Uh, uh, undeserved reputation our beloved pit bulls have uh, acquired for themselves. Definitely. I, I also think too, like get, if, if, if someone is listening to this podcast and they're like, you know what, this calls to me and I really want to be involved in some way, shape or form. It's so important to um, really get up with an organization that has um, been doing this for a while that has a diverse group of volunteers and or staff members and has individuals that um, are seasoned and can help you through that beginning process because it can be really challenging and trying and heartbreaking initially when you first get into rescue work or shelter work, especially with pitbull type dogs, um, especially if you get into community outreach, you see some things that are really difficult to stomach sometimes. And um, it really helps to have a mentor to get you through that. Uh, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, I want to start a nonprofit for pitbull type dogs. And my response is typically, please don't. <laughs> please get on board with an organization that already exists because I promise you, you can bring your unique individual ideas to that table and you can take something that's already in existence and make it so much more stronger rather than divvying up and, you know, creating this push and pull everywhere. Like, let's team up, let's get together, let's collaborate. Don't start a new thing. Jump on board with people who are experienced, who will listen to you and will answer your questions and, you know, mentor you along. But it can make such a difference than just jumping in head first without, you know, getting some history of, of what has happened, where we've been and where we're going. That's exactly what I did, actually. And um, <laughs> you that's did the exactly the, uh, the advice that I give people when they ask me, how do I start? And I'm like, you don't. Don't. You, don't do it. <laughs> you can make, you can help make another organization so much stronger by fostering, by by doing their social media, by taking care of, by taking stuff off of their plate that that they need help with. Um, and it's better to have stronger organizations out there than lots of weak ones. That, yes. That, and there are a lot of weak ones, unfortunately, because you think yeah. about it, you're, you're starting from scratch, you know, you're building up from the bottom. Yeah. And you come in with a passion and a love, but what else do you have? And you, you, the two of you, you couldn't really give any better advice than you both just gave, you know, and if somebody is destined to have their own situation, well, they'll know that after they serve two years or three years or five years under the expert watch of somebody like yourselves. So that is, that is amazingly great advice. And I, I don't want to invite a flood of email to either of the two of you. But if somebody out there right now is watching this and they're like, that's really good advice. That makes sense. I'm in Marriott, Illinois, or I'm in Pensacola, Florida. Where do I go? How would they, what's their best resource they can go to, to find direction for this? 
I would start somewhere locally. I would I would start somewhere locally so you can get not just the the mentoring, but also the hands-on experience with the dogs. I think that's huge. Mm. You can learn a lot reading books and having people tell you things and watching webinars and YouTube videos and watching other people do it. But if you go somewhere locally, you know, read Google reviews, be careful. You know, there are ugly, angry people out there. So if, you know, someone wrote a bad review, but most of them are good, go with that. But you can't replace that hands-on experience. And if you've got a really good mentor in that area too, that can walk you through it and, you know, teach you in a way that you are able to learn, that's awesome. A lot of people are visual or auditory, but I find that especially for new volunteers that come on board with us or people who want to get into our service dog training program, the best way to do that is literally to hand the leash over to them and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's work through this. And until you really get that experience with those dogs directly, it can be really difficult to understand exactly what you're getting into until you walk into the shelter environment and um, see what these dogs are up against and what the staff is up against. And, you know, until you're in that community with another volunteer that can help coach you through what's about to happen with outreach, it's, it's, it's just hard to get a, a really good idea of what it is all about you know we can tell you about it all we want but until you're in it and you experience it you're not really mm -hmm. gonna know so wherever you are you know google your local rescue organizations your shelters especially and i, I don't want any, i never want to hear people say oh my gosh but they kill animals they don't have a choice so go support your kill shelter too please because they're not wanting to kill these animals they need your help they need you to volunteer they need the support so find out who's in your area locally especially your municipal shelters um, go in with an open mind. Um, don't go in speaking. Uh, go in to listen and to learn. Your voice has a place and it will come, but it will be heard um, so much more intensely when you have some experience behind it and you've gotten your feet wet and you've been in for a bit. That, that's fantastic. And I'm glad that you put some emphasis on the shelters at the end because God knows shelters could use the help also. Yeah. And the yeah. people out there watching. They're struggling. Yeah, the people out watching may not have an accredited rescue or sanctuary in their immediate area, but there is a shelter everywhere. So I, I want to challenge everybody that's watching this today. Take a take a day sometime in the next two weeks. Go to your local shelter or accredited rescue if you can find it and spend a day there. And I, I also want to put this challenge out. Anybody that has an innate fear or prejudice toward a pit bull type dog when you get to the shelter, ask the volunteer or not the volunteers, ask the staff there to give you some one on one time with one of their favorite pit bulls. Um, I want to put that out to anybody. Um, people I know personally right now, would be like, oh, my God, I would never do that. I'm going to get attacked. Well, <laughs> you're going to be in a place where you're safe, where people know what they're doing. Go get some one on one time with a pit bull at your local shelter and see if your mind isn't changed have to preach a little bit every episode. I love it. Yeah. I, and I love it. I, if you're local to me, ask me to come meet my dogs. You can. <laughs> Fantastic. Sarah, it's so good having you on. Our, our hour just flew by here. Um, like, like, like I said, I've always regarded you as like one of the true bright lights in this industry who just has, has her head on straight. And I, and I really appreciate the way you educate, the way you advocate and uh, and and your basis in in fact, and I uh, just want to wish you all the best and continued success and uh, please continue to make this world safe for our beloved pit bulls. Thank you, I really appreciate that. So good to see you, Sarah. 
And uh, let's uh, let's please be in touch. Absolutely, for sure. Take care of yourself. You as Thank well. you so much for coming on. I really did learn a lot, and it, this was this was probably one of my best favorite ones so far that we've done. Oh, so, excellent. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure to meet you, Mina. And Rick, always a pleasure to, to talk to you and to work with you in any capacity. But Mina, I'm definitely looking your organization up. I really want to learn more about it. Okay. Oh, oh nervous. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was awesome. Yes, I'm sorry. I had a technical difficulty here for a moment. <laughs> yes, um, she's great. And, and you know, she, she speaks the truth and she speaks so knowledgeably. How, how can somebody out there that has a, a perverse perception of what these beautiful babies are not find Sarah Enos Andreco credible? I, I find her to be one of the most credible people in this industry. Yeah, just, I mean, her presentation, the way she looks, the way she speaks, she's just, um, she's someone that anyone can look up to and listen and, and respect and be like, ah, because some of the people that we've spoken to with like face tattoos and me with all my tattoos and like rough people talking like, uh, like from East London sounding like this, talking about how good pit bulls are and whatnot. Um, but we've also got the other side of the spectrum, her, um, who who speaks so eloquently, like just gives facts after facts. And, and I think everyone that watched this today would sit there, be like, just nod the whole time and be like, ha, ah, yeah, light bulb, light bulb, light bulb, light bulb. To totally agreed. Hey, so that said, you know what we should do for our next episode? We should find the craziest person we possibly can in this industry and just get the opposite side of it. <laughs> just a thought. I, I'm just, there's, there's a few names. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a long list, that's for sure. <laughs> question is, who gets the crown, the crown title, right? Who knows? I'm <laughs> right. In the upcoming weeks here at the Pitbull Podcast, we will find out. Yes. We could even ask people to rank who you think is the craziest. That's great. Yeah, we learned how to do polls recently. Yes, we, we'll get on that. Absolutely. Well, Mina, good to see you as always. And uh, I know it's now 10 a.m. in Japan, so positively past your nap time at 10 a.m. Yes. I also heard the delivery truck come, and I'm pretty sure that the pit bulls in the garden have gotten into whatever has been delivered. Well, whatever it is, I hope they enjoyed it because... Yeah, yesterday Roxy ate a whole bag of sunflower seeds, so... Plus <laughs> their big pit bull hearts and their little pit bull stomachs, they deserve it. Yep. <laughs> All right, Mina, well, enjoy your day, and I will... Uh, Talk with you soon, my friend. Yes, I'll see you next week as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.